0: with today. Um, God, we just uh, we just ask you just to uh, get rid of distractions, Lord, in our mind, God, and uh, help us to really take this time just to focus on your word and what you might be trying to say to us, Father. Um, sometimes we can make reading the Bible, Lord, and learning about these things just sort of like uh, an educational type thing, Lord, and it's partly that, God, but... It's also about putting it into practice, Lord. It's about understanding your heart. It's about drawing closer to you. And uh, I pray, Lord, that we would continue to do that, Father. And so, God, we, just, uh, we put this morning in your hands. And we ask for you to bless it. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're almost through the book of Acts. So it took us about a year to get through one book of the Bible. So at that pace, I don't know, we got 66 years? I don't know. I don't know if we do. But uh, that's that's where we are. So we're almost through it. And we're almost uh, at the end here. We've seen a lot of things happen. We saw the birth of the church itself. We saw amazing miracles. We saw two main characters, really, Peter and Paul. It's really the book about Peter and Paul. Peter kind of accounts for the first half. Paul's really the second half. And Paul's really the catalyst for the quote-unquote Gentile church for all of us. Uh, So we pick up today in Acts 25. And we pick up through this kind of journey of faith that we're watching, at least through Paul's life right now. It's brought him to a lot of different places. Uh, He has really been for lack of a better term, really a rock star at times. where just crowds following him, uh, healing people and just supernatural things taking place. And at other times, he's been shacked up in prison uh, next to another guy, singing in the prison cell. It's just been quite the journey. Oh, the little man is here. That's not distracting at all, right? <laughs> 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 um, that's awesome, isn't it? You see your little one just coming to the church in the back door. That's awesome. So, this journey of faith. And so, I, as I was uh, thinking about Paul and where he's at and what's going on with him, I just, you know, think of our life and just how we go through our journeys and the way things go. You know, one TV show that I like and I appreciate, I like to watch, and sometimes I make Julie watch it with me, is uh, Man vs. Wild. I just like that show. Man vs. Wild, Bear Girls, he's in the woods... And no matter what his surroundings are, he has to try and adapt to whatever the surroundings are. So he could be in the desert where he's like, I saw him drink his own urine, believe it or not, and like he was still okay. Or he could be uh, in frozen tundra and Mount Everest somewhere and surviving over there. And so he just seems through all these journeys. And the part that intrigues me is uh, kind of, you know, how smart he is and what he does. But just the survival techniques that he has to do at different stages of where he's at. And it's very similar for us in our lives as far as surviving and adapting to what God brings to our lives at different times. And like we talked about before, Paul has kind of been all over the place. And we certainly go all over the place. And the hope, the hope and the expectation is that our faith stays solid, it stays strong, and just our circumstances just kind of go. That's the hope. That's not always really what happens though. And, you know, since we're human, sometimes our faith is sometimes, whether we like to admit or not, attached to our circumstances. And if things are riding pretty good, all of a sudden we're feeling pretty good about God and about Christianity and about religion. And but then when they're not, sometimes we can kind of be doubting and thinking about, you know, what's really going on here, especially if we're getting squeezed pretty good. And one trait that we keep seeing in Paul that just like just jumps out to me, and I, I, it's just amazing. It's just continually at the forefront of my mind this guy is just solid no matter what happens. No matter who's on his side, who's vouching for him, who's around, he's always solid where he needs to be. I don't know about you, but I don't really know a lot of people really with that quality. So I admire that. You know, I, something that I like to see and I hope that and I pray and ask God that to instill that in me and hopefully, you know, as you read through this, He just, God, help to give me some of that courageous courage that Paul has you know, as he goes through it. So we pick up Acts 25. What does this journey look like? Where has he been? What has he been doing? Basically, here's a really quick recap to put you sort of right where we're at right now. You can go back to the other one. That's okay. Basically, he is right now kind of reaping what he sowed. He's been sowing into the kingdom and now he's kind of reaping for it uh, with people that are jealous, and ultimately, I believe with Satan, because he just wants to be done with them. He wants to shut this guy up, um, and he doesn't want him around anymore. And so Paul's already been before the mob, and basically he gave the whole speech, and told them where he was coming from, and they said, we want to kill him, get rid of him. It got too ugly, too out of hand. So then the authorities, the police got involved, they kind of took Paul away, so then they put him before like the religious ruling council, and they tried to sort of uh, make amends, try to bridge some gaps there and then maybe between the ruling council and the people, you know, kind of settle some things down. It got just as ugly with the religious leaders and the cops had to take him out of there again. The cops at this time being Rome, right? Just the ruling authority. Last week, he was in front of the actual authorities, Rome itself. He was sitting there in front of them with the judge right there, this guy Felix. He was sitting right in front of him. The charges were brought before him on the next slide there. His charges right, were basically that he was a troublemaker causing riots and Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. That's Pax Romana, that's Rome. You don't bring trouble, you don't bring riots to Rome because they're trying to instill peace. He was a ringleader of a Nazarene sect, basically like sort of like a cult leader, barbaric cult leader. And he was going to do damage to the temple, which the Romans themselves built for the Jews. And so they really painted him as just this crazy religious lunatic who's looking to do damage. And so Paul basically confronts all the charges, proves how he's innocent, and turns the table. And then basically, how does the judge respond? What does he say? What does he do? He says, well, I'm going to wait for this other guy to show up to make a final ruling. In that meantime, two years go by. Two years. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know. I might be getting a little bit worried after two months. Right? I might be getting a little bit of despair maybe after six months. After a year, I might be thinking, geez, what have I done? Is there like some kind of sin like I didn't take care of? Is God the only me right now? Like what is really going on? But he's there for two years and so we pick up right at the end of that two years and in that meantime, this guy Felix, the judge who's supposed to make a judgment call, a verdict... He's gone, and this other guy shows up. And so he brings Paul back in. So that's where we are. So chapter 25, verse 1. So it says, three days after arriving in the province, Festus, the new judge now who's going to hear Paul's case, went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So he didn't really waste any time. So three days where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus, right? So the religious authorities they urgently, urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. This wasn't the first time. This is actually like the third time now. There's a planned ambush to get rid of this guy. Festus answered, "Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon." Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. So after spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea and the next day he convened the court. So he brings it back in session in order that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many serious charges against them which they could not prove. Which are basically more of the same thing. They're just kind of reiterating the case that they had. So it says in verse 8, Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. And that's really his sticking point. He's sticking to that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, he wants justice. If I did something wrong and I broke the law, fine. I will die. Whatever the penalty is, I will pay it. But I want a fair trial. You know, I want justice to be done. I want the true facts to really come forward. And I don't want things manipulated and false witnesses and ultimately, uh, you know, a false verdict. I want things to really be put into perspective. So in verse 9, it says, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor. right? This is kind of a common theme. These guys are always trying to work together. These governors uh, in Rome are trying to work with the Jews just to kind of keep peace. And if they can kind of get rid of one guy and keep peace, you know, to them, it's a pretty good option. So he says, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? So Festus kind of caves in right to the deal because the deal was, hey, listen, we'll take care of Paul. Just send him back here to us in Jerusalem and we'll take care of him along the way. And so Festus apparently took them up on his offer and he kind of phrased the question like, well, listen, do you want to go back to Jerusalem and just let them hear this one more time, knowing full well that they're going to ambush him along the way. So he's kind of like, well, it's kind of shoving him right into there, trying to get him to go. So in verse 10, it says, Paul answers. He says, I'm now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be, where I ought to be tried. Right? He's getting tired of getting the runaround. I have not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself very well know. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, then no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. So, dramatic event. He's like, listen, I'm tired of the runaround. We all know what's going on. And this whole thing is going to continue to happen. And chances are, I'm sure Paul's no dummy. He's going to end up dead at some point. It's like, you know what? The only way I'm going to get a fair trial is if I go right to Caesar. And that's who I want to go talk to. So, what does Festus do? In verse 12. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. So, he get his wish because he's a Roman citizen he gets to go to see Caesar. So it says, a few days later, after this whole ordeal, and as Paul appeals to Caesar, King Agrippa, and he's kind of like the head governor of the whole province, so kind of a big wig, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner, right? Felix was the guy, left him there. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against the chargers. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day in order the man to be brought in says, when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes that I had expected. Instead, they had come points, They had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. <laughs> right? So he's, he's kind of getting the story here. He's sort of understanding what's really going on. He says, I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. Notice how he left out. And they were going to ambush him. So in verse 21, when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. So then Agrippa, pretty much intrigued by this whole thing, said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. And so next week, we get to hear what happens with Paul and Festus. Right? That's your cliffhanger. For next week. And you can cheat. You could read ahead and see what happens. Hopefully, not like right now this morning, but maybe when you get home later today or some point this week. And it's interesting to see how God is using him, right? We said this is like a whole journey of faith and God bringing him different places. And uh, it really looks pretty bleak, to be quite honest. I guess if you're sitting in Paul's sandals, it doesn't really look that promising. You know, he's really by himself. We haven't really heard a whole lot. Like, Whatever happened to the whole like, church in Jerusalem like with the elders you know, and the apostles that were there, we don't really hear much about them really backing him and like, being strong in his corner and really going to bat for him. And so it's like, I don't know, maybe that was happening. It's not written down, but maybe it wasn't. So it's kind of lonely. And things are pretty thick right now. And uh, he doesn't have a lot of time left. But God is still using him. And really, God is kind of marching him right up the chain throughout Rome, and throughout the religious community. Like he's had a platform before just a huge crowd of people. Then he had a platform before the religious ruling leaders in Jerusalem. Then he had a platform kind of in his area. And now he's going to be going soon to Rome before Caesar. And God is using him all along the way with all these people. And with Festus, it gets pretty interesting. So next week... Should be very interesting. But, what about all this stuff and how can we really relate to any of this? I think it's on, let me see here. Next slide. You might have seen this guy in the news. That's his wife, his kids. Okay? This, unfortunately, is a story that is strikingly, strikingly similar to what we've been reading about in Paul. Where he's on trial, he's in court, and it's because of Jesus. So, Pastor Yousef, not Arkani, Pastor Yousef, not Arkani, he's in Iran. Okay, so not too long ago, Iran let a couple of prisoners free. Right, they want they supposedly wandered over the border over there. They set them free. They came back. Great thing. This guy over here, he's a pastor, Christian pastor in Iran. In 2009, he was going to register his church. He's got a church over there of like 400 people. Pretty good sized church. He's going to register his church and uh, they, take, they took note of that. You know, this guy who supposedly was brought up Muslim, all of a sudden becomes a Christian. Now he's got a church. He's registering it. Um, and basically, right now, he is facing the death penalty. Facing the death penalty for apostasy. Because, the rule is, if if you are, a Muslim, and you convert to Christianity, you can, by their laws, be executed, be killed for that. The interesting twist to it, is that supposedly he was never a confessing Muslim. And so what they did is they sort of kind of finagled the law to where they got him right now at this point to where basically he has to recant his faith in Jesus Christ and then he can live. Or if he doesn't, chances are he's going to be executed. So this past week was a big week because he had three chances to say, okay, fine, I'm not really a Christian. You know, I, I, I made a mistake. I'm going to become, you know, back to my roots and be a true Muslim, blah, blah, blah. So he had three chances to do it. This past week was his last time. And so now the question is, what's going to happen? What are they actually going to do? Because there is a decent amount of people that are in his corner, that are praying, that are like, let's do something, you know. It was really in the news. It was really um, noticeable with the other prisoners that were in Iran. But not too many people really know about this guy and really what's going on with him. And it's simply because, you know, he's a Christian and he won't deny his faith. And the bad part is, you know, he was originally uh, charged with protesting. And then they changed the crime, you know, to apostasy. And people think, and a lot of uh, the reports that are out there, is because he did not want his kids raised with a Muslim education. And so he said, listen, you know, I don't want their education, you know, controlled by... Islamic ideas and Islamic thoughts. I want to be able to have a free choice and put my kids in an education context where I'd like to have them. And apparently that's when it got really heavy for him, and that's where it really came after them. And so our brother in Christ right now, who knows what's going to happen with him. He has not recanted. His last, this past week in court, uh, he technically has to recant. Part of the recanting is he has to repent of what he has done and then say... Uh, you know, I'm going to become, I'm going to follow Islam. So his response to that was, repent means to turn. And I don't want to turn from Jesus Christ. That's my life, that's my God, that's who I'm staying with. So this guy, like Paul, man, courageous. Courageous right up to the very end. I mean, he's got, you know, kids, his wife, and it's all on the line. You know, right now, our brother in Christ. And I think it was important, you know, to bring that up this morning, you know, to let us know so we can pray for this guy. You know, and so what I wanted to do this morning is just, kind of as we're in the middle of the message, that's okay. But we can pause, if we could just have like maybe two people, you know, we'll all bow our heads, close our eyes. Two people could just pray for him, you know, this morning. Just so, you know, we could say, hey, at least as a church you pray for him this morning. And then I hope, you know, in your own time during the week you really pray for this guy. Because who knows what the decision is going to be. I don't know what it's going to be. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and if two people, any two people, doesn't matter, we can pray for Pastor Youssef. Pastor Youssef.
1: As much as, as much as there's a charade, as much as, um, as people will try to portray things as being fair, um, there, there's no justice in that. And, and justice is the only true justice, Father God. And, and I, I pray that in the dark times and in the difficult times that Pastor Youssef and his wife um, be able to hear your voice, be able to be strengthened, to uh, take heart and to take courage when uh, no one else is around them. Lord God, um, mm. no one else, when it feels like no one else is in their corner, which is I'm sure is right now, mm. um, but as it, as it may get even darker, Lord God, I pray that you help him to stand fast and to stay true, Lord God, to your leading, to your leadership, and Lord, I pray that many souls get saved through this event, get saved through mm. these actions, get saved through this movement of your Holy Spirit, um, even in the darkest parts of the world, you're, you're there. You know, mm. No matter where we go, you're there, and you're there, Lord God, and you're working. It's becoming evident, and I just pray that hearts would be open to, to what they see um, in this, Lord God. Thank you for that morning, Jesus. I pray that you keep the children safe, and I pray that um, mm. I pray that you uh, allow his wife to be supportive, father, and to take courage herself in what's going on. In that and you'd raise up other leaders where to take leadership in the church when mm-hmm. it's unavailable. Uh, if they your fire burning in the cloud
0: Mm. and so you know uh, try and get out there read about him and uh, get some prayers you know one big thing is that it has been pretty quiet Um, some noise will help Uh, one article that I was reading was that um I think it was back in the '80s. Um, there was another time when a uh, similar thing like this happened, and a real outcry spared 13 lives. Spared 13 lives, but you know, uh, um, our government really, government really hasn't said a whole lot. Really, the Vatican really hasn't said a whole lot. You know, and so it's just weird. You know, we live in this world in 2011, where you know, where apparently there's a big push for tolerance, you know, and fairness, and having you know, free choice and stuff like that. But it's, I don't know, it's kind of weird you know, so his family could definitely use our prayers and you know, as I was reading through this week, you know, with Paul back against the wall but he's still not budging um, just like Pastor Youssef, you know, and for him it's right on the line, it's right on the line so let me see if I can read this one Uh, one thought that was dominating it about as far as where this is coming from why these guys, um, why these believers, you know, book of the martyrs. This is just a whole book of them. You know, why they put it all on the line. Why it really matters to them. Uh, is kind of a little bit in this thought coming up next. Uh, right here. Hopefully it'll come up there. There we go. So Paul, Pastor Yusef, and hopefully me as well. Hopefully, you as well. They're focused on the promises of God and not the power of His situation. Right? I think that is one thought that they latch onto and have no question at all. No question. Not overwhelmed by what's going on around them, but they're focused completely on the promises of God. And so the question is you know, what are some of the promises of God? Because if you don't know any of them, there's not really a whole lot really to latch onto. So, on the next slide. Here's some promises that Paul had to latch on to himself. Because he knew that in Caesarea and in Jerusalem when it was getting really heavy, he knew it wasn't time for him. How did he know that? Well, in Acts 9, when he got knocked off the horse, right, and the light was there and he was really called, God said to him, he said, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. He knew he was going to the kings. He knew he'd be in Israel. And he knew he had to first fulfill that. And whatever happens after that, that's what happens. But he knew he's in the middle of what God had called him to do and where he had him to be. And he was encouraged by that. And in Acts 23, a couple of chapters back from where we are, where there was actually another ambush uh, for people to kill him once again, it says, The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And so he knew, he said, God told me i got to talk before kings, i got to talk before people in Jerusalem, and he told me I'm going to Rome, and that's where I'm going. Right? And he held on to that. He knew the promises of God. And so we also, right, we have, you know, this entire Bible filled with promises of God that he said about us, and uh, we need to know those. We need to know those. And kind of at the closing, we'll talk about what we can actually do with them, and how they could actually help. Another thought about how this was helping Paul, right on the next slide there. So circumstances are not always what they seem. God has a way of using evil that was intended to hurt us, right? And so that was one of the prayers that somebody prayed out loud. God has a way of turning things that were intended by Satan to just destroy us. God is famous for that. And back in Genesis, which I think is on the next slide, this is what happened with Joseph and his brothers. Right? You remember the story of Joseph and he had his brothers and they, you know, he had the dream and he told them about the dream and they didn't like it, they threw him in the pit, he got sold to slavery, he was in jail for a while, became second in command in Egypt. Then his brothers came back, you know, Joseph disguised himself and kind of put them through the ringer for a while, made them sweat it out and things were kind of good but then dad died and the brother's like oh no, you know, dad died and now he's really going to try and get revenge on us. You know, but then how does Joseph respond? He goes, listen, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Right, and so it's nice to know that behind the scenes that somebody, a totally loving and powerful God is just in control and he's going to make this thing turn out we're good. So I don't know what's going to happen, with Pastor Yusef, but you can pretty much guarantee that God is going to be in the middle of it, and some things are going to happen. Absolutely, I think one of the strongest examples, at least that we could probably relate to, would be 9/11. That just you know, happened not too long ago, and from people that went there firsthand, ground level, saw that and experienced that what God was, how He was using it and how He was working through it. The conversations that just developed, how people were all of a sudden open to hearing about God and um, talking about issues in life that really matter. So what I wanted to say is really, on the next slide here, is that God's promises in our faith, it is ideal when they come together and they combine. Right? That is like the goal, to know God's promises, to know what He says... Combine that with our faith. Right? Because we could say them all day long if, if we want or say what other people have said. But if we don't really own up to it, it's, it doesn't really mean anything. Right? It has to really be a part of us. So God's promises with our faith, that's really the game changer. And that's just going to keep us solid. That's going to keep us as that linchpin. Keep us anchored. Keep us steadfast so we're not really going up and down so much all the time. So His promises, our faith, coming together and you know even with our faith isn't even matching up all the time with where it should be God is God and loves us so much He completely overcomes that and we see that with evidence with Jesus in the Bible when He was walking on the earth and in His ministry one father came up to Him and He said Jesus you got to heal my son He said I believe you can do it He said "But forgive me of my doubt but you could, could you please heal him anyway and of course Jesus worked right, right with him and healed them right then and there. And so our faith, you know, it is that journey, you know, sometimes, but our loving Father will help us with that. So, being encouraged. On the next slide. What can we try and do to try and help with uh, getting those promises aligned with our faith? I just put down just a few kind of practical things. Um, one, is I read Psalm 25 this week, to help learn about some of God's promises and what his perspective really is. Psalm 25 is a great song, And it really helps from perspective who's really in control, how he is in control, how he's holding us. And it's a really, really good place to be. And it's really encouraging. And I guarantee it'll help you. And you know, I would even recommend not just reading it. I said I put up there to learn it. You know, to actually have it be a part of you. Really, to let that one soak in. It's a really good one. Really good psalm. To just get part of the promises enveloped in there to get held on to. Because right? we want to know, where are these promises? What has God really said? We know how He promised Paul and He spoke with him individually. What did He say to us? It's through the Bible. Psalm 25 is a great example. Next one. It says, when you start to feel overwhelmed or challenged this week, try and repeat part of this psalm out loud. You know, if something gets heavy this week, you get squeezed a little bit. Repeating part of that psalm, having it internalized, and actually saying it out loud, and just praying it back to God, is tremendous. And it's powerful. It's actually, you know, in action stuff. You know, this week, uh, I had to bring Julie, unfortunately, to the uh, emergency room on Thursday night. And she had a pretty complicated labor as it was. And, um, you know, it was pretty difficult. And it just... Uh, been a little bit of a rough road. So, Thursday night, like 11 o'clock at night, you know, we were just spent, tired. And uh, she was really frustrated. I was frustrated. And so, we got to drive her down to Yale now. And, you know, I saw on the way back home that sure enough what I was doing, you know, parts of the Bible, saying them out loud, praying them back to God, and, you know, just uh, trusting in Him as far as what's going to happen. It's powerful, you know, and it really helps to put things in perspective as far as what's really going on. On the next uh, bullet, it says, ask God to help you with your doubt. Because certainly, that's just like a part of life sometimes. We would love to just say, steady, even keel, steadfast. Oh God, I'm always on fire for you. And it's just like, always this bonfire that's always going crazy for God. But, you know, sometimes that is just not the case. And a good, honest prayer is worth so much more than try and like hide stuff from God. You know, and being specific and being honest. God, I feel like a mess right now. I'm not sure what you're doing. I'm not sure what the next step is. But I'm going to try and trust you. I'm going to try and trust what you're going to do with my life. And I think there's one more on there. Right? Pray with a Christian brother or sister this week when you need it. And for some people that's pretty easy, pretty common. You know, people do that. But for some people it's not that common. And they don't do that. In fact, it's really a big struggle. And so if you have an opportunity to pray with a Christian brother or sister, try and take advantage of it. Or if you need it, you know, really reach out to them. Because fortunately for us, we have some support system. We're not like Paul, uh, really in a prison cell by ourselves, kind of alone in it for a while. We have some support networks here. And we can help out. And it's nice also this morning now we also prayed for our Christian brother Yusuf right you could definitely definitely use it so what we're going to do is we're going to do communion and uh, they're going to come up uh, we'll do a song uh, in communion and while the song is playing uh, we'll pass out uh, the elements and just hold on to it and then we will uh, we'll take it together and it's a great song Jesus Paid It All is a song uh, it's an awesome song just sit back and reflect how much he actually did pay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and within that payment, it was all driven by love. So we'll pass that out and we'll take it together.
2: I hear the Savior say. White as snow, Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change.
0: Have that doubt kind of overwhelm your love sometimes. We say, we're sorry for that, Lord. We ask for forgiveness for that, Thank you for the price you paid, and we're really letting you know what it costs, like we said. So it says, the Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, he took bread said when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me so we take it Jesus said in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it and remember so we take the cup and drink this cup You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes, right? And that's why we do it. So people break it too because His body was broken, right? That's kind of like the fun sound, but that's what we do. It's a new covenant, right? That veil was torn in half. We have access to the Father through Jesus Himself when He sees us. He sees the blood of Christ. And so I think we'll uh, maybe close with one song and
2: You're unchangeable, you're unfaimable, you're unshakable, that's what you are. You're unchangeable, you're unstoppable, you're unshakable, that's what you are.
0: Lord, we pray, God, that you would uh, truly with Pastor Youssef, Lord, we pray to the community, Lord, of uh, Christ followers throughout the globe, Lord, just be praying for him, Lord, praying for his family, God, and we look for your hand in the middle of it, Lord, help us, Lord, each today, as we go to work, Lord, or with family members, with friends, God, help us to be a true light for you, Father, and help us each today. A better perspective on how much you love us how we're in your hands Dad. you already have our steps mapped out and we thank you that you work for the good of those who love you more. in Jesus name so have an awesome week we got lots of refreshments in the books and we'll see you next week I just celebrate one year
2: Since